All right, let's get into it this morning. Um, today is part six of the Armor of God series. We're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. We've already talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of preparation or readiness with the gospel, and the shield of faith last week. And today we're going to kind of dive into the helmet of salvation. And I want you to notice in verse 17, if you're following along in the new version, all the notes are there. Uh, but right at the beginning of verse 17, which is what, uh, where we're starting today, it says, take, take the helmet of salvation. And it's very interesting because what you see in the beginning of this passage in Ephesians, it says, put on, put on, take up, uh, over and over and over. There is an, there is something that we have to be active in doing. And, uh, and one of the problems that, that we run into in Christianity a lot is that, when we start talking about doing things with our faith or in our faith, that people get hung up on, well, I'm saved by grace. And I'm not going to argue that. I'm totally there. I'm completely there. As a matter of fact, uh, that's what Ephesians is all about. Ephesians um, is assuming, Paul is already assuming within the, in the writing to the, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus that salvation has already been accomplished in the life of believers. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, he said in Ephesians 2, he said, It is by grace you have been saved. So salvation comes at the moment that you and I place our trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection as a payment for our sin. But, how many of you know when there's a but? You ever had somebody go, I love you, but? You know, when they, when they follow that I love you with a but, you, you just kind of know you're just about to be opened up like a Christmas turkey. You know, I mean, they're just going to open you up. But, we're going to talk about the but for just a moment this morning. Because it's important. All through Scripture, through the Gospels, through the New Testament, from Jesus to James, there's an element of doing that is connected to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. The armor of God, you can have all the knowledge in the world about the armor of God, but if you don't put it on, it's not going to do you any good. No one else is going to dress you in your armor. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, but when my mom did this and my dad did this and my granddaddy, look, all I got to say to us this morning, it is time that we put our big boy pants on and that we do this for ourselves because it's the only way it's going to work. You know, some people will question, well, you haven't had any altar calls during this series on put the armor of God. No, I haven't. Because God's not going to put the armor on you, on you. He's provided it. He's gifted it to all of us. But the responsibility of putting the armor on is on you and I. We have to do something to do this. And that's what this is all about. As a matter of fact, he, Paul talked about uh, to the church at Philippi. In Philippians 2, verse 12, he said, As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. Now, and he adds to that statement, with fear and trembling. And, and a lot of us, we always say, hey, I'm working out my own salvation. Great. Are you doing it with fear and trembling? In other words, are you doing it in a way that, that you take it seriously as a life or death scenario? Do you, do you look at your salvation in light of the holiness of God? You say, well, that never measures up. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. I, well, I, I, I'm, I think I'm a better Christian than so-and-so over here. That's not the point. That's, ir that, that's irrelevant. 
That's a, that's a non-issue because it's, your salvation is not about how someone else lives for Jesus. Your salvation is about how you live for Jesus. And when we talk about the armor of God, he's talking about simply recognizing that it's a process that we go through. I am saved when I believe in Jesus Christ, when I decide to become a follower of Christ. But as I live my life, I am being saved. This continual process, the process of sanctification. We move from justification to sanctification. We're being sanctified. We're being molded into the image of Jesus Christ. So I am saved, yes, but I am being saved. And then someday, I what? I will be saved. That's the finished work. When we leave this earth, take our last breath, or if the rapture takes place and, and we go to heaven, um, then we're there. We're there. We were saved. We were being saved. And we have been saved, or we will be saved. The helmet, though, is not about the gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith. It's not the justification through the blood of Jesus. This is not that. This is not that. Well, I know a lot of people teach it that way, and I'm not saying that I know more than anybody else. I'm just saying that what I'm telling you is, after looking at this, the helmet of salvation is not the salvation that we have when we first believe in Christ. The helmet of salvation is about what we're doing now and what we're going to be continuing to do as we live our life for Jesus. The helmet is designed to protect what area of the body? The head. All right? The mind of a human being, the believer's mind, the Christ follower's mind is a major battleground of spiritual warfare. Our deliverance or our victory in that over evil spirits of darkness it involves getting our thought life in line with Jesus and with the Bible. All right? That's what it, it, it involves that. Uh, I said this a few weeks back, I think during the Overcoming series, or maybe it was one earlier than that, I don't, I don't remember now. Uh, but Francis Frangipane wrote a book called The Three Battlegrounds. If you've ever read the book, it's a fantastic little book. He talks about the battleground of the church, the battleground of the heavenly places, and the battleground of the mind. And he makes reference to... It not being a coincidence that Jesus died on Golgotha, which is called what? The place of the skull. That's not something that, oh, that's just a coincidence. No, it's not, because you know there are no coincidences with God. God specifically plans out. He's very, very ordered in everything that he does. The place of the skull, the battleground of the mind. How do we deal with the battleground of our mind? It is the primary place of spiritual warfare is fought in our lives. The Lord works his truth into our perspectives while the enemy fights for, to, to establish strongholds that hold us and bind us. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or more abundantly depending on your translation. So how do we apply the helmet of truth to our lives? How do we apply the helmet of truth to our lives? Um, this is, and I will tell you this, this some of this is going to come out of the series we just finished on overcoming. You say, well, you're preaching the same thing over again. Yep. I am. I am. Why? Because repetition makes it stick. It makes it stick. Now, if you were here during the overcoming series and you got it 100% and you're good to go, we'll see you next Sunday. The problem is we don't get it. One, it's not a one and done for any of us, right? We don't get it that way. So you're probably going to say, oh, I've heard this before. You have heard it before. I'll give you a little hint. You may hear it next Sunday. You might. You just might. You never know. 
Romans 12, 2. Here's where, we, here's where we apply the helmet of salvation to our lives. Verse 2, Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Going back, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was a new, I'm a new creature in Christ. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are saved and your spirit is regenerated. You're brand new as a spiritual person. Your soul, everything is cool there. However, the mind and body has to catch up. Because what happens at salvation, this is, this is, and this is a real slip-up for a lot of people because they're, they're preachers and they're people who say, if you accept Jesus Christ, all your problems are going to go away. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, no, they're going to be magnified. They're going to be magnified because now there's a standard. Now there's a standard. There's things that we have to do. There are ways that we have to act. Yeah, but salvation is free. It's free. Salvation is free. Yes, it wasn't free for Jesus, but it's free for you and me. All we have to do is believe. And begin to follow. But there is a big difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. All you got to do is believe. That gets you in the door. Okay? That gets you in the door. It doesn't mold you into the image of Jesus. It doesn't renew your mind. It doesn't transform you. It just gets you in the door. Now, for some people, that's all they want. That's all they want, until something really bad happens. And then they, then they wonder, why, where's God at? How am I ever going to get through this? And that's why many, many people who claim to believe in Jesus Christ get slapped silly by the enemy on a day-to-day -day basis because they've never moved from believing to following. And there's a huge difference, huge difference. Jesus said not everybody that believes or not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to get into heaven, but those who do the will of my Father, those who follow the will of God. It's a huge piece that, that, misses, that, that people miss out on many, many times here. Stephen Covey says this, you sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Thought, action, habit, character, destiny. Everything begins with a thought. If you don't believe that it doesn't, go back and read the story of David and Bathsheba. David Sent the battle that the, the army of Israel was in, at war. David decided he's got plenty of warriors and Joab's there. So he's just going to stay at the castle, hang around town for a little bit longer. He couldn't sleep that night, probably because he knows he should have been on the battlefield. You say, are you adding to the scripture? No, I'm just thinking from a man's perspective, if you're sending people to do the work that you're supposed to be leading people into, you're probably going to feel bad when you don't hold your end up. So David's up walking around on the top of the house, the palace. Looks across the street, lady taking a bath. Should have went down, started playing basketball or something right then and there. You know, go pick up the banjo and go out in the courtyard and sing. Do something. Do something. But David stands there and he goes, wow, there's a lady taking a bath. Hand me the binoculars. You know, well, they didn't have binoculars in those days. I'm just kind of elaborating a little bit because we know that's what happened. Because it says this, that David said, saw that she was beautiful and then it's repeated that she was very beautiful. It's the second beautiful that got David in trouble because that's where the thought began to swirl. He didn't do anything about it. He stood there. He let his mind kick into overdrive 
He brings her to the palace, sleeps with her, winds up. She's pregnant. He kills her husband to try to get the math to work with the, with the whole nine-month thing. Marries her. But sooner or later, as we all understand, we may think we get away with it, and nobody sees it, but God sees it all. And God sent a prophet and told David a little story about a lamb and all this kind of stuff, and David goes, I'll have that guy killed. And the prophet goes, you're the dude. It's you. He began with a thought. He saw something. Instead of taking his thoughts in that moment captive and moving to a cold shower or whatever he needed to do, he let his mind run away with him. And we see the digression that took place there. Proverbs 23 tells us that as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so are they. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and, and he walks on the scene and he, and he says something very interesting. He said, he, he walks out of, the, out of the way, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near or at hand, depending on what version you're looking at. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We always think in terms of repentance as we turn from something and turn to something, but here in this instance, it's not that. It literally means, the word here for repent literally means think differently afterwards. You have to think differently. And here's the, here's the thing that happened back all those years ago, almost two centuries now. Israel was looking for the Messiah. They were looking intently for the Messiah to come in and deliver them from Roman domination. They, they had watched God deliver them through Moses as their leader. They watched God supernaturally deliver them 400, 500 years previous or 1,000 years previous to that actually out of Egypt. And now they were under Roman domination and they were expecting the same type of deliverer, a, a militant individual to come on a white steed and come in and, and militarily defeat Rome. The problem was God doesn't do things the way we think he should. I mean, you ever, ever notice that? I mean, don't it just aggravate the dog out of you? You know, I mean, he never early, ever. So are you getting mad, Phil? No, I'm just talking life here. Because God is never Ever early. I mean, if I were God, I would go, let's do it this way. He's going, well, son, you would flame out the first day. You couldn't do this job. And he's right. God's never early. But God never does what we think he should do the way he thinks he should, we think he should do it. Because why? Because he's God and his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows more than you and I. So Jesus comes on the scene and he tells Israel in one phrase, you have to think differently about the Messiah because the Messiah, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. In other words, it's here. They're still looking for the military leader. God uses a baby in a manger in a two-bit town called Bethlehem in the middle of nowhere. That baby grows up and about 30 years of age, he begins to preach and teach after he comes. But he, he's, he's saying, look, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss this. We have to be able to think differently about how we live for Christ. Most people don't have any difficulty with, this, with the aspect of believing. 
You ask people all over America, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I attest to the Christian faith. The problem is that the vast majority of believers in America are not Christ followers. They just believe something. Because they were told when they were small at a VBS or a Sunday school or a camp or something like that, all you have to do is believe. And I'm not denying that that's because that is by grace through faith. That's, that's it. But something else has to occur in our life if we're going to live and face the spiritual darkness the way we have to face it every single day of our life. We have to be able to move from believer to follower. That is the thing between think differently versus think different. If we think differently, we change the way in which we think. If we think different, that's about what we think. Jesus wants us to think differently. In other words, he wants us to change the way we think about spirituality, the way we think about God, the way we think about our life, the way we think about our experience at salvation. He wants to, us to think about, the, to change how we view it. No longer do we view ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, but at some point we've got to pick up the mantle and go, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what the helmet of salvation is all about. It's changing the way we think. It is think different, thinking differently about who we are in Jesus Christ. It goes back to the reality that I am a new person. I am a new creation. And now I've got to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can move from I just believe to I am a full-on follower of Jesus Christ that is picking up and putting on and taking up the full armor of God every moment of every day of my life because I know that it's a battle. The enemy wants to destroy you. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is his job. If he opens his mouth, he's lying because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. And if you don't have the armor of God on and the helmet of salvation in place and you're thinking correctly, which means you think differently than the way you used to think, something's going to go amiss. And you're going to get hammered. I'm amazed at how anemic Christians are in the United States of America. I'm amazed. As long as we don't have any issues, we're, we, we love Jesus. But the moment something bad sideswipes us or blindsides us, then we're mad at God, we walk away from our faith, and we go, there's nothing to it. And that's the, that's the danger of just living in belief and not becoming a follower. 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now notice this. See this now. The weapons we fight with, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Notice what it says next. We demolish arguments or strongholds. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Once again, there is something that you and I have to do. I'm praying for God to remove this stronghold. That's not what Scripture says. You want a stronghold gone out of your life? You've got to think differently in your mind. Move from believing to following 
and doing the will of the Father, which means I follow the word of God, which means that when the enemy went, here, here's the thing. A stronghold is an argument believed. I have this demonic stronghold in my life. No. You do not have a demonic stronghold in your life. You have an argument that you have believed that has become a source of issue in your life because you believe something other than the truth. You believe the argument. Satan speaks against God's plan and his design for our lives, and once we believe the lie, the stronghold is there, which means we, at that moment, we have become divided or separated in our thinking in that moment. So once again, there are two distinct actions that we have to take. Remember, we're dealing with the helmet of salvation, dealing with our thought life here. Two distinct actions that we have to do. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up the knowledge of God. We demolish those things. We take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ. I wish God would just remove this. God's not going to remove that when he tells us we have to take it captive. He's not going to demolish a stronghold when he says, that's your job. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where Christianity moves from 101 to senior level or master's level or doctoral level stuff. Not about electives anymore. I mean, you can just take PE just so many times. Sooner or later, you've got to get into the stuff there where your major is centered. And this is the difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. He told the disciples, we, did this, we said this, looked at this last week, he told the disciples, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. He didn't say come and believe in me. Come and follow me. So how do we demolish arguments? How do we demolish? How do we take every thought captive? It is possible to live a life aware of our thoughts and take them captive as well. Are you going to get it every time? Not necessarily. You won't. Okay, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have things that happen to us most of the time in a moment of weakness that, that hits us with a curveball. Taking your thoughts captive simply means gaining control over what you think about your life and yourself. That's, that's literally what it means. Go back to David. Had David looked across the street and saw Bathsheba bathing and said, that's not my wife. And went and literally took the thoughts captive. Our Bible would look vastly different. We wouldn't have that story to tell. It's the same way with you and I. It's the same way with you and I. When we see something that we shouldn't see, when we think something that we shouldn't think, what do we do with that in that moment? Ah, it's okay. I'm, I'll, I'll just let this. That's, that's how addiction to pornography and everything else starts. That's how it happens. It all begins with a thought that is left unattended. Romans 12, 2 again. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And we renew our mind 
by engaging in the Word of God. You just said this last week. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Engage in the Word of God. How are you going to know what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, if you never read about it? We're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit next week. It's powerful. It's the only, only offensive weapon that we have. But the Word of God, you've got to study it. What does God say about you? What does God say about the thought that's going through your mind? How are you going to know the argument is against the knowledge of God if you don't read the Word of God? It's through God's Word that we recognize the truth that combats the argument that we have believed. It's through that. There's, why so many, there's so many people today that live in, that are in Christian circles that go to church every Sunday that believe that a Christian can have a generational curse connected to their life. And I may make some of you mad with this this morning, but I want you to understand something. There is no single solitary way a Christian can have a generational curse connected to them unless you want one. I'm just being straight up, okay? Now, that doesn't sell a lot of books. Which is why I've never written, I've never written a book. Because that won't sell a book. Because what somebody wants you to understand is something that happened in my family lineage two or three generations ago is why I am the way that I am today. And that is a load of stuff. Okay? That is a biblical load of stuff. There's nothing to that. A curse is only in effect if someone has spoken it to or over you and you have chosen to believe it. That's it. Deuteronomy 21, 23, because anyone who is hung on a pole, speaking of a cross, is under God's curse. Wait a minute. There's something there. Because Galatians 3 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Yeah, but, but I remember what God said to Moses in Exodus. He said that he's going to punish the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. He did say that in Exodus. He did say that, yes. But in Jeremiah 31, he said this. The people will no longer quote the proverb, the parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. In other words, in verse 30, all people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. Ezekiel 18, 4, for all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. This is God speaking to us, to his people and to us. The person who sins is the one who will deal with their sin, the fallout from their sin. That's the Word of God. That's taking the Word of God, engaging the Word of God, and then moving to the next step, which is accepting it as truth. You've got to believe it. Do I believe what it says about me? If I don't embrace God's Word for me, then guess what I will do? I will embrace the enemy's Word that's spoken to me and over me. That's where we take the thoughts captive. We recognize the argument, we recognize the lie, and since we know the truth, we can reject the thoughts that are not of God's truth. And then the last thing we do as we renew our mind is we, re we apply it to our life. You've got to live it. You've got to move from believing to following. Will I live what God has said about me? 
When the enemy tries to bring doubt, when he tries to distort God's truth, when he tries to discourage me, when he tries to distract me and divide or separate me from God, I go back to what? What somebody said, or do I go back to book, to the book? I go back to the book. I go back to the word of God. I will live it out even when it doesn't feel like I'm winning the battle. I will embrace God's word until I know that I have won the battle. Listen, the victory is set and it is secured. It is the battles that we have to deal with. And we, do, we win those battles on a daily basis by going back to the word of God. That's how we combat the lie of the enemy. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. My dad, my dad was a businessman over in Panama City, Bay County area for many, many, many years. And he owned a, a fence company. We put up every kind of fence known to man. And no, I don't do that anymore. But it's an interesting thing about a fence. You put a fence up and you don't put a gate in it. It just keeps things in. So you put gates. If you want to drive into your driveway or in the backyard, you put a, you put a drive gate. If you just want something you want to get a lawnmower through, you want to walk through it, then you put a walk gate. But it's a gate. But here's the thing about a lot of Christians. We all have fences. Jesus has provided the gate. He is the gate. And the gate's unlocked and the gate's open. The problem is that we choose to stay inside the fence. We choose to stay in the bondage and the hassles and in all the things that we, that we have believed because we don't want to walk out in freedom. I want to be free. The gate's open. The gate is open. You and I have to choose to walk out of it. We have to choose to exit that. The freedom has been provided for. God gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in freedom. When we think about what we don't have and what is wrong with our world and, and all the things that are happening around us or how bad things have been in our life, we can find ourselves struggling with, de with depression and anxiety. There's that battlefield that's going on in our mind. And you're in our lives. Now listen to me this morning. Your life, my life, will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So we arm our minds and our thoughts with life-giving truth. When we dwell on good things, when we dwell on good things, when we think of our blessings, the reality of what, that God loves us, the beauty that we see in nature, when we live from seeing and settling those truths in our mind and our heart, I think it would do us all good to kind of take an inventory of what we're taking in every day. A few years ago, I just, I just noticed that there was, I just literally walked around, I felt like I was under this cloud all the time. That it was just, we'd gone through some heavy stuff here at the church, a lot of stuff had happened, and, and we had come on the other side of it, but there was so much in a short period of time that I literally just felt like, I couldn't stand up straight. I just had this blanket all over me. And, and I was praying and, 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 all the, and, and reading the Bible and all this kind of stuff, but I just felt I, I just couldn't get it to lift. And then I realized, I sat at home one night, and I love, how many of you watch Criminal Minds? I love Criminal Minds. Love that show. And, and so I go home and I watch Criminal Minds. 
But then I started noticing something about watching that show. That after about two episodes, I start feeling like, Bleh. I mean, because when you understand that a lot of those storylines come out of the archives of the FBI, that's like it's real stuff going on in the world. You go, I can't pause. I'm telling you, it's a weird stuff in the world. And I started recognizing that the things that I was taking in was affecting the way I was thinking. And so I, I turned my stereo off in my truck for a, a month or two. Uh, I made some adjustments in what I watched on TV. And literally, and this is no, this is no lie, you know this. Some of you have been around, you know this. I watched Hallmark. <laughs> I did for two months. So all I watched on TV was Hallmark. Now, I know they only got, they got five plots. That's it. <laughs> okay? It's either about someone is cooking, baking, or it's about dogs or something. Uh, sometimes it's cooking and dogs. I don't know. But, they had, but the thing, here's, the, here's the thing I noticed about that. That over a week or two, I started, I started feeling a little bit better before I'd go to bed. Why? Because every one of those things end good. I mean, you feel, you watch that stuff, and you go, that's just stupid, but I feel good. <laughs> oh, it's happy. It's happy. You know? Now, I don't watch Hallmark as, the way I used to, but I'm real careful about how much negative stuff I take in. I watch zero news on television, basically because we don't have news anymore. We have opinions of news. And so I watch none of it. I pick and choose. I usually, I usually take in some Liberal outlets, I take in some very conservative outlets, and somewhere somewhere in the middle there's probably some truth. But I pick and choose that. I pick and choose it. Why? Because if, we, if we're not careful what we take in, there used to be a computer term, I don't know if they're still used in the computer, but G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. What you take in is what will come out. And Paul said to the church at Colossians, in Colossians, he said this, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above. Set your mind on good things. Let's stand all over the room this morning. Just a couple of more thoughts and then we're going to close. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Jesus said to us in Matthew 6, he said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be given to you as well. Just, how, just as your thoughts determine your, your, your actions and your direction, what you seek first in your life is what organizes your life. What you seek first, what is, what is priority in your life is what your life is organized around. So I guess what I'm saying this morning as we close this teaching this morning is this. It, I think it's time as we move from believer to follower that we consider our thoughts throughout the day. Consider our thoughts. And I'm not just talking about what you watch on television. I'm talking about your thoughts. What do, you, what do you think when the person cuts you off in traffic? Or they stop at that roundabout up there in front of Walmart? <laughs> ah. What do you think 
when someone you don't know acts in a way that you don't think they should. Or someone that you do know acts in a way that you don't think they should. One of the things that, that has been kind of churning in me for months now is, is how, many, how many people in our country have died? How many, how many young TikTok influencers have taken their own life in the last six months? Dozens and dozens and dozens. And in my mind, you know, I, I, I go, it's sad, but then on the other hand, I go, this, I go to this too. I'm going, did they not know Jesus? Do they know Jesus? I hope they knew Jesus. When we start letting our mind think as a follower of Jesus and not someone just who believes in him, things begin to change in how we approach life. When we consider our thoughts throughout the day, ask yourself, are my thoughts life-giving and positive? Or are they negative thoughts? What input is it that I'm taking in that is establishing those thoughts every day in my life? Because Jesus said this, or the Bible says this, Paul wrote to the church in Philippians, he said, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about those things. I know for some of you that are in this house today and some of you that are going to watch this through uh, the internet and throughout the week in the archives, I'm going to tell you straight up. You need to stop watching the news. You need to stop reading political magazines and articles and stuff. They may not even make magazines, I don't know. You need to stop taking in stuff on television and through the movies and stuff like that. That's not the things that a Christ follower should be taking into their lives. Oh, you're getting legalistic now, Phil. I'm not, I'm really not. I'm really not. A legalist will tell you to get rid of your TV. Don't ever go to the movies. That's the kind of stuff I grew up in when I was really young. We had a TV, black and white, and we don't even know what that looks like. And you basically had two channels. In Panama City, you had Channel 7, WJHG, and you had WTVY, Dothan. That's all you had. And if you watched the Dothan channel, it was mostly snow and squigglies. Those of you that grew up in the digital age, the squigglies of analog are the pixelation freezing of the day. (laughs) Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The legalist will tell you, get rid of your TV, don't listen to anything but Christian music on the, on the radio, blah, 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 blah. A follower of Jesus Christ works out his own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. You pray it out. 
You pray it out. I'm not telling you don't get rid of your TV. I'm not getting rid of mine. I'm not. I'm not turning my satellite radio off in my, in my truck either. I mean, I like the golf channel every now and then. I do. But even sometimes, you know, too much drinking and whiskey and all this kind of stuff, after a while you kind of go, okay, I need something that's not that full. That's why they had the message. What are you taking in will determine what you put out. Amen? Let me pray for you, and then Tommy's going to come close us out. Father, we thank you today for your blessings in our lives. Father, this is just another one of those things that, that you're instructing us to do as a follower of your son, Jesus Christ. You're enabling us to do by the power of your Holy Spirit. But you are not going to do for us. So my prayer is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will embrace, that we will embrace your truth and make it our own. That we'll walk in the freedom that is provided by your word through your spirit. And that as we are saved, we recognize that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are being saved. And that one day we'll be in your presence. And at that moment, we will be saved. And we put on the helmet of salvation and the full armor that you provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer, and then Tommy can close us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jenny. I love you. Love you all.